You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture reading today is from Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to his holy people, grace and peace to you from our God Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen. Welcome today to our more or less brand new 10 o'clock service. I'm so excited to see all of you here. And we really had, yeah, yeah, really a pretty good start and split to our new fourth service format last week for the first time. Uh, going forward, and so you, that all that is to say, are, you are, yes, with the right people in the right place at the right time, so thanks for being here. Let's begin with a little story time today. It was the very hot summer of 386 AD, as you remember, and as a, a young man in northern Africa, he was sitting and weeping in his backyard. This young man was from a broken home, and though his mother had done her best to raise him right, this young man, his name was Augustine. He, he liked to party. He had been uh, experimenting with multiple faith systems, but all the partying, all the women, all the booze, all the philosophy had left him empty. Augustine had lived for himself and found he didn't like the taste. As he sat and he was crying in despair about his life and where he was, he heard some children playing down below in the streets and they were singing, take and read, take and read. So he goes back inside, he takes a Bible and he does what you and I may have done once or twice in our lives. He played the old fashioned game of Bible roulette. That is, he opened the Bible and put his finger in the first place that he found and expected God to speak to him. But where he opened and where he put his finger was no other place than the book of Romans. The book of Romans chapter 13, and what he found there brought him to his knees. It changed his life. He said until that moment, he had never understood. He had never grasped the central message of the book of Jesus Christ, of a central message of the Christian faith until that moment. And what he found there set his mind free to be the towering intellect, the premier philosopher, the groundbreaking author, supreme theologian of his day. And he still speaks today. I wonder, could what Augustine found in Romans do the same for you? Flash forward to a second summer, the summer of 1513. This time it was a German monk, though he was a teacher of the Bible. He had never understood, never grasped the central message. And in his studies, this man came across this verse. 
Psalm 131.1, Psalm 31.1, which says, In your righteousness, deliver me. The man's name was Martin Luther, and Luther was confused. How could God's righteousness, he asked, do anything but condemn a person? Luther opened to the passage you heard read to you today, Romans 1.17, and he said this later. He says, Night and day I pondered Romans 1 until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Therefore I felt myself to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. Luther went on to become the, the activist of his generation. He launched the Reformation. You may know he, he protested abuses of, of the church, hypocrisy by the church. He literally changed the world, I wonder. Could what Luther found in the book of Romans be the same for you? Flash forward to a final summer, the summer of 1738, where a failed and burned out missionary limped into a church service wondering why it felt like everything in the world and his life was going against him. His name was John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. And he walked into that Bible study and he heard someone reading from, of all things, a book by Luther, Martin Luther, on the book of Romans. And something happened to him. He wrote this. He says, while Luther was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. Wesley went on to reach thousands for Christ. He was a tireless advocate for the poor, for those in prison. He argued decisively, persuasively against slavery, against racism until the day he died, when he died penniless, for he had given away all he had to the poor. I wonder, could what John Wesley found in the book of Romans do the same for you? So what did each of these three people, different cultures, three different time periods experience? They each experienced as one thing, as one word. They experienced breakthrough breakthrough each of these world changers broke through they experienced deep life change because they grasped the central message of the christian faith the gospel of jesus christ so what is then the gospel what did they find out that was for them well the gospel is actually what the book of romans is all about what we're looking at for a number of weeks and so today i want to try to show you three things that these people found these three things that they and countless others have grasped, I think, just may help you break through what area, whatever area of life you need breakthrough in as well. So what is the gospel? Let's look at these three things they found, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to bring breakthrough in your life today and in mine. Three things I want to show you. Number one about the gospel. The gospel we're going to see is a who. The gospel is a who in that it's a person, not a principle. So number one, it's a who. Who is this person? Paul writes, verse 2 and 3, the gospel, God promised it beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. It's regarding his son. So the gospel is a who. It's all about a person. It's all about someone Paul here calls God's son. Who is that? He goes on, verse 3, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the Son of God, Paul says, is both fully human 
and fully divine. He's fully human. He was a descendant of a, of a Jewish king named David, showing he's human. But he showed, he proved he was divine when he was resurrected physically, literally, bodily from the dead. He proved he's divine, and his name, Paul says, is Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. So the gospel is all about a person. His name is Jesus. What does this mean? Well, I think if you were to go around Austin, Texas today, and you were to ask the average person, what do you you think it means to be a Christian? Or let's say you posted something to all of your 2,000 closest friends on social media, and you asked the general public, what do you think it means to be a Christian? Or do you, you were to take a poll of most people in most churches today, and you asked them, what do you think it means to be a Christian? I think you would most likely hear most often something like this. To be a Christian is to live by the golden rule. That's what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to stick up for the oppressed and the voiceless. What it means to be a Christian is to love and forgive everyone all the time. And yet, as great as all those things are, and hear me, as much as you and I, as we should do those things... If that is what it means first to be a Christian, if it's about anything you do first, that makes the gospel about me first, about you first. And if ever ever the gospel is about what I do first or what I do most now, the gospel is no different than any other faith system or religion system of thought. I'll say it again. If the gospel is about anything I do first, that makes it about me first. That would be living by a good principle, a nice principle, perhaps a really helpful principle. But that can't be right because Paul says the gospel isn't regarding a principle. No, it's regarding a person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. We believe and receive a person first, not a principle first. So let's ask, well, how does this thought, how does seeing this, knowing this, experiencing this, how does this break us through? I think we experience breakthrough in this way. And thankfully, the gospel, if we'll see this, breaks us out of us. It breaks us out of us. And here's what I mean. Have you ever met, and I like to know this actually, actually, by a show of hands. Have you ever met a person whose life was all about them? Go ahead and raise your hand. I'll wait. Don't dig your heels in against me. Don't go and raise your hands. No, all of us should be raising our hands right now, not because you've ever had a child (laughs) or you've met your neighbor, but because you have met you. (laughs) Or at least I hope you have. I'll put it like this for me. My greatest challenge as a person is thinking my life, everything's about me. My greatest challenge as a husband, my wife would say... (laughs) is thinking everything is about me. My greatest challenge as a father is thinking my whole family is about me. My greatest challenge as a pastor is thinking all of this is always about me. Listen, you see this in me. I know you do. I see this in you. We see this in each other. But grasping that the gospel is about a person, not a principle, breaks us through when we realize that the gospel and what God is doing in the world is not fundamentally about you. It's not fundamentally about me or us, about my life or my dreams. But the gospel is first and fundamentally about Jesus Christ and his life. And hear me, his dream for you, his dream for you first. If your life is only about what you can become, what your vacation will be, what your retirement will be, what your kids are, their sports, games, life. If that's all your life is about, what's about first, your life is way too small. 
It's way too small. And listen, I don't mean to sound real grinchy or grouchy here today, but here we go. No, uh, things like, say stuff like this, like saying stuff like YOLO. You got to do you, I'm going to do me. I know what's best for me or anything that sounds remotely like that in the same county or a hemisphere or a solar system. That kind of thing ought to be put on a train and shipped somewhere. It can't possibly come back from because to the degree you still think like that, this is showing us, to that degree you are still in bondage to the worst person you could ever be in bondage to. Yourself. Yourself. And to the degree you think like that still, you're holding yourself back from the breakthrough. God wants to bring into your life, that your heavenly Father has created you to become. See, the irony is the Christian faith is actually all about a person. It's just not you. Yeah. The gospel is about Jesus, the Son of God. As John the Baptist said, he must increase. I must decrease. Number one, first, the gospel is a who because it's all about a person, not a principle. But second, number two, let's go on and see this. The gospel is also a what. It's not just a who, it's also a what in that it is good news, not just good advice. Good news, not just good advice. And you can see that from just the word gospel itself. The word gospel is the word in the Greek, euangelion which is itself really two words, you, which means good, and angelion, which is where we get our word angel. But the gospel is not, of course, the good angel. It literally means the good herald. That's what it means because that's what an angel is. Don't we sing the song, come on at Christmas, hark the herald angels sing. Yeah, because a herald is someone, an angel is a herald who goes ahead and proclaims a message given to it on behalf of the one who sent it. Now, some of you, for example... You grew up, perhaps, in towns or cities like I did where you had, again, for example, a newspaper with the word Herald in it. Now, thankfully, I grew up in the Dallas, Texas area. And we had a newspaper, some of you may have grown up there, too, called, what, the Dallas Times? No. Oh, gosh, no. Man, this, <laughs> it's the opposite. Yeah, there is the Dallas Morning News. No. Yeah, I'm showing my age here. Uh, the Dallas Times Herald. Come on, y'all, Dallas Times Show. Now, if you listen to the radio at all back in the day, I'm taking you way off topic here because this is fun for me. Thank you. You knew that you could call the Dallas Times Herald Classifieds. Know that? At 748, come on, 1414. My people are. I was just seeing who my people were out there. 748-1414. Now, that's what's called a cultural deep cut right there. And some of you are asking, because we're strangely and wonderfully off track here, what in the world is a classified ad? A classified ad, just from the school you bring you up to speed, a classified ad was like Craigslist before the internet. It's where you could go to sell anything, except you paid a lot of money to do it, and you only got two lines and no photos. And if you're asking, how could you sell, like, your, your table or your car, your, you know, your eight-track collection? With two lines and no photos, let me tell you, it was a miracle anybody sold anything at all. But that's not the point. The point is, a herald, back onto the scripture here, a herald was a bringer of good news, which means this. Here it is. The gospel is something to be believed and received, not achieved. 
The gospel is something to be believed and, re- and received, not achieved. Why? Because you believe good news. You receive good news. You can't achieve good news because it's already happened. So what is then that good news we receive and believe? Here it is at last. The good news is the gospel is that God Almighty, the omnipotent, loving creator of all things, has come into our world because he loved it and he loves you. And he sent himself in the form of his son, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus lived the perfect life before God. You should have lived, but you didn't live because you couldn't do it. And yet he died the death. You should have died so that all the bad things, evil things, wicked things, you and I, humanity has done, the Bible calls it sin, could be erased, forgiven, and we could be changed from the inside out, have love of all our mighty God on the inside, and be reconciled to God for forever, and, and, and beyond that, the gospel is that God, through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is reconciling all things back to himself, everything that's ever, ever been lost. Yeah, listen, that is Christian good news. It means nothing, even you, is beyond God's power to redeem, to restore, to make new. So let's ask him, well, how does this bring a breakthrough? What effect? How does this break us through? What effect does believing and receiving this good news have on our lives? Well, this breakthrough, kind of breakthrough, we're going to talk about it, is a kind of a breakthrough you might not expect to see here. Because the surprising effect, and Paul's going to show us, is a kind of surprising tension. Surprising tension. Maybe you caught it earlier in the scripture reading. Look at what Paul says will be the first effect in the human heart after we believe and receive the good news. Verse 5, he writes, he goes on and says, Through him we what? Receive, there's that word again, grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. The good news, he says, the gospel will always bring obedience to God obedience to God. You say, Morgan, I thought the gospel was something I just received. Uh, I just believe it was like a one-time decision I made, and I go on from there. Well, listen, you do receive it. You do believe it. But what does this mean then? Well, how can Paul insist that faith in God, trust in the gospel, will result in obedience to God? To show you that, I'm trying to answer that. I want to uh, illustrate this. I'm going to try to take you to a moment to try to show you what this means. Take you to a moment that I think every person has probably had at least in the last 24 hours, maybe even on the way into church today. And that moment is the moment where you are in your kitchen. You are in your kitchen. And when you're in the kitchen in our hypothetical situation, you are surrounded by that thing that is omnipresent in your life. That it's like omnipresent. It's a fact of human existence besides death and taxes. And, and by that thing, I mean the dirty dishes. Oh, yeah, dirty dishes. Now, because you in this situation, hypothetical situation, you, you are an environmentally conscious person. Yes, you are. You do live in Austin, Texas, right? You have chosen on this hypothetical night or morning not to eat on paper plates, good for you, or to use plastic forks, knives, spoons, good for you, but you have used, incredibly, dishes, actual dishes made of ceramic, porcelain, acrylic, and you have had a party with friends or family over, and the night has come to an end, and furthermore, because you are extremely privileged, you have a functioning dishwasher in your home, and by functioning dishwasher, by the way, I do not mean your children, (laughs) 
your spouse, or your roommate, because they don't function as a dishwasher anyway, do they? No, you have a device that cleans and washes the dishes, or does it? Or does it? Let's say you loaded that thing up with every single dish, all the stuff, the remains of the day, the remains of the dinner party on it. You shut the door on that contraption, and you hit start in the morning. Would the dishes be clean? And the answer is, it depends. It depends. It depends on whether or not the dishes had the power of something else present in there. What do the dishes need to be clean? Yeah, they need the power of something they receive that comes onto them, that changes them, that touches them. They need the power, yes, of soap. It's simple, but it's true. The goal of a dishwasher is to clean the stuff, stuff that gets new, but it can't get there on its own without the presence of an active power, a cleansing agent coming onto it and changing it. And the same is true for you and for me when it comes to obeying God. Because hear me, the, the gospel is you can never fully obey God on your own, never be in a right relationship with Him on your own. And believe me, I tried it for years. It was miserable. And some of you likely know that right now. It is miserable holding your heart back from God and trying to obey him on your own, apart from his power in your life. I I was like a dish refusing soap, like using my fingernails to try to, you know, scrape off. Every last bit of spaghetti or, you know, or, or, or enchiladas, but I was calling myself clean. No, I was just lying to myself. I needed an external power Come on to me, touch me, change me. See, there's always clean that comes from soap. And Paul's saying there's always obedience that comes from faith. The two go hand in hand. So please, please, please today, don't just sit in here like a dish in the dishwasher. Hope something's going to happen to you, right? The church building isn't made of clean Our songs aren't made of clean. Uh, Doing good things isn't made of clean. But experiencing the gospel through all of this, yes, is what brings an active power, a cleansing agent into your life and gives you the power now to obey God. Soap in the dishwasher always brings clean. Faith in the gospel always brings obedience to God. It's just what it does, which is why when people ask Paul, hey, Paul, can I just live however I want to now that I've made some decision? Can I live however I want to and call myself a follower of Jesus? Jesus Christ, Paul like, literally laughs. He's like, heck, no way, no way. May it never be, by no means. That's literally nonsensical because if soap is present, what happens? Dishes that are clean. The gospel is present. A heart will be changed to obey. And here's why. Because isn't it true that when you know how much a person loves you, when they give everything they have for you, when you know how much a person loves you unconditionally, aren't you glad to do anything they ask. Yeah, you are. You are. And when the power of the love, the unconditional affirmation of Jesus Christ hits a person's heart, you and I will be glad to do anything he asks us to. We'll be glad to obey. You say, well, how can I? How can I get the power? I need that. How can I get the power of that love in my life today? It's by seeing now number three, the gospel isn't just a who or a what, but it's also a how. Here's how it comes into our life. Through approval, by approval, that is, through judgment. By approval, through judgment. Here's what I mean. Both of my grandfathers, maybe some of yours as well, my grandfather served in the United States Armed Forces, but one in particular had a lengthy career in the military. He was a highly decorated officer. Uh, He was decorated for courage and bravery in both Korea and Vietnam. In Korea, we knew he was shot 
trying to take a hill. But he kept on going until he shielded one of his own men from an exploding grenade. And the subsequent shrapnel in his body caused him to be paralyzed on the battlefield from the waist down. He played dead when the enemy came by and began to bayonet the bodies. But he survived that because the dead body of his friend had fallen on top of him. My grandfather was rescued, was pulled back to safety, and then he and his platoon were discovered again, but he held his position all night by inspiring his men. He had shrapnel, a bullet in his body. Over and over again, he inspired his men. He called down fire in his own position until the morning when his platoon could be rescued. It's an amazing story, and for this, he received a citation from the United States, uh, President of the United States, and he received a silver star, big-time combat medal. And he never talked about this, of course until his, his 50th wedding anniversary when his family was present and asked him to tell the story. But at least we knew about this story. We knew about this, this moment in time in Korea. But what we didn't know about, as his family was something that we didn't find out and didn't discover until after he had passed away. When he passed away a few years later, we discovered two more combat medals for active duty in Vietnam. Not as a lieutenant, but a colonel. He had told us he was just over there managing a computer installation. You're right. What he was really doing, we'll never know, but he, he received two more combat medals for bravery there in, in Vietnam. And when he died and he was prepared to be buried, we saw him there. He was in his full dress uniform, of course. All his medals for bravery, courage, selflessness, and sacrifice pinned to his chest. Now imagine, now imagine, if at his funeral, maybe it is a funeral of someone you know like this. At his funeral, someone that our family had known to be a deserter had arrived. What if there were someone who had come to his funeral who we knew had deserted him in his moment of need, had run away on the battlefield, had been the cause of his injuries, of all the, the things that he went through, all the suffering, all the PTSD he had gone through. What if we knew someone else had been the cause of the death of the other men? How would we feel if we saw that person there? Huh? And how would you feel if that were your family and you saw that person there? Now, 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 now imagine, now imagine in that moment with that deserter there, if someone else bent over my grandfather or yours and pulled off every single medal for bravery and courage and brought it over to the deserter and the one who caused the pain of the death and pinned those medals on his chest, how would that feel? How would that look? Now imagine one more thing. Now imagine if my grandfather, yours, my grandfather, before he passed, knew this would happen. And he said, I want what I deserve to pass to him. I don't just want you to forgive this person. I don't just want you to pardon them. I want you to honor them. I want what I have earned and I, what I deserve to go to the one who doesn't deserve it. And I want you to honor now on them what those medals stand for and what those medals mean. You say, well, that wouldn't be fair at all. That would actually be offensive. Now, let me ask you, don't you understand? That is a picture of the gospel. That is what grace is. Grace is not fair. Grace is offensive. That's what grace is, though. Grace means that the one who deserves the honor doesn't get it. But the one who doesn't deserve it gets the honor that someone else has earned on their behalf. See, the gospel means that the medals pinned to the chest of Jesus Christ passed to us. And now, 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 it means we aren't just pardoned, as amazing as that would be. No, we get a whole new life. No, we're not just free from deserting God in our past, but a life where now God, incredibly beyond our imagination, salutes us, not because we deserve it, which we don't, but because Jesus deserves it. And he has said his honor passes 
to us. Now, see, and so when Paul writes these words, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. He's using, hear me, an intentionally loaded term. The word righteousness doesn't mean the right actions of God. He's not saying the right actions of God are revealed. No, that's a totally different word. Paul uses the word, you've got to see this, diokosune. It means approval. This is legal language. Hear me, Paul is using. This is referring to what a judge would pronounce over a person who isn't just pardoned, isn't just not guilty, but now beloved, accepted, even though he was guilty, even though she deserved to be condemned. And Paul is saying, now, 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 the righteousness, the very approval of God is revealed in the gospel and it blows out it moves out every other kind of false righteousness every other means by which we try to gain a feeling a right standing in life we point to ourselves and say I'm good I'm fine and listen don't tell me you or someone else doesn't have some kind of righteousness you're trying to live from apart from the gospel some place where you try to get approval or good vibes or feeling about life we all have our own ways that's what human history has proved what culture proves we have false righteousness we pursue. It's at an epidemic level in our culture. Don't we bully people online? Come on, they get a false sense of righteousness. We troll people online. They get a false sense of righteousness. We conservatives, we are self-righteous when it comes to how we talk about family and moral purity. And we liberals are self-righteous when it comes to how we talk about loving the poor and the outcast. We seek to base our identity on these things. Professional athletes now, incredibly, they're begged by their coaches and teammates to stay offline. They perform in the game. They go online and read about what people have written about them. And when it's bad, they crumble underneath the weight of it. When it's not good, they can't stand it. They can't take it. Why? Because they're looking for a false righteousness. What we are looking for is some kind of approval. We are all like, listen to this, we're like Franz Kafka, that weird Austrian existentialist. He wrote a story called The Hunger Artist, a man literally starving in approval, for approval, in a cage of his own choosing. And if we, like him, if we don't find another source of approval, of righteousness, we waste away to nothing. Oh, but Paul is showing us that there is the approval, the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. It wasn't clear before. But it's clear now. We can receive this approval because the judgment is on Jesus. The verdict for our performance is in and it is lacking. But the verdict for Jesus' performance is in. And he is the righteous one, the approved one. And now every medal pinned to his chest passes to us. So how do we get this? How do we get this approval, the righteousness of God? Oh, last thought. The guy you've heard of, Martin Luther, that that activist, that reformer, thinker, a friend of his asked him the same question, Martin, how do I get this approval? How do I get this love? How does it change my life? Where does it come in? Where does it begin? And he wrote back to his friend and answered him like this. And whether it's for the first time today or for the hundredth time, these Christians need the gospel too. Luther wrote these words. He said, friend, learn to know Christ and him crucified. Learn to sing to him and to say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine and given me what is yours. You have become what you were not so that I might become what I was not. Loved, approved, received, reconciled. 
can stand approved because he stood condemned. As Paul writes, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. What have we said today? Number one, the gospel is a who. It's a person, not a principle. Number two, it's a what. It's good news, not just good advice. And number three, it comes into our life. We experience the approval of God because of what Jesus experienced on the cross. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.